This morning, our kids can be dismissed for Children's Church. They're going to head to the youth center this morning. We have one last time here to run through some of the songs of the Christmas program and to practice through that. I hope tonight that that you plan to come back and to join us for the program tonight. Even, even if you don't have kids that are part of it or grandkids that are part of it, I hope that you'll come back and, uh, and just see the work that they've been putting into it and just celebrate with us tonight as we walk through that program. Today we are going to begin a, a, just a, a new series, a, a short, just a few weeks here together in a series of looking at, at our Richland exists, our existence statement that we have on the wall over here, and, and looking at that through the lens of the series that we just came out of, out of Acts of the Apostles. And, and I want to uh, share, I, I've, I've been looking forward to doing this, trying to mix these two series together. We, we talked uh, a, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, we, we walked through kind of what does it mean for us to exist? What does this existence statement mean? How can we look at that through Scripture? And, and apply that to our church. And then we spent a year and a half walking through Acts, learning about the early church, learning about the New Testament, and trying to better understand that and comprehend it. And so now what I hope we can do is kind of mash those two series together and say, what did we see? What did we learn? What did we, what did we notice as we walked through the book of Acts? Which just reaffirms, hopefully what we've already been talking about in our existence statement. Because we want Scripture to be the thing that leads us in, in all of these things. In our existence, we want it to come from Scripture. And so uh, hopefully we can unify these things together and we can join the, what we've learned in the book of Acts together with what we've already been studying through our existence. And so this morning, as we walk through this existence statement, we're going to walk through it bit by bit, portion by portion, slowly and surely. And we start with the very beginning. Richland exists to magnify Jesus Christ. We exist to magnify Jesus Christ. We exist here at Richland for him. Our existence is about Jesus and the first time that we walked through our Richland Exist series, I started it by telling you this. Our existence here at Richland is not about you. It's not about you. Our existence here is not about you and it's not about me. It's not even about all of us together corporately. It's not about you. We are not the center of why exist as a church here at Richland. Now it's natural for you to think that. It's not unexpected for us to believe that we are the center of attention. We're wired that way. We, we are self-focused, self-centered, self-oriented people. We think about us all the time. And it's okay for that sometimes. It's okay for us to, to think about who we are, to, to, to figure out why we are the way we are. It's not entirely bad for us to focus on ourselves. We need, we need to have an understanding of who we are. We need to have an understanding about ourselves and about the ways that we relate to others. 
In fact, when I do premarital counseling, if some of you have, have I've walked through that with, I have a, a, a session that we call, uh, it's on communication. We call it, Can You Hear Me Now? And we walk through, in that session together, we walk through a variety of different ways to try to help us understand how we communicate and to learn how we're going to communicate better with our mates. And so we go through all kinds of things. We, we, we talk about personality styles, um, that we, we use kind of a, a, an axis grid, and we, there's lots of different ways to talk about personality styles, but, but the grid that we use uh, goes... Uh, more, more people-focused or more task-focused. There's kind of a, a, a separation there. And, and faster-paced and slower-paced. And that kind of gives us a grid. Um, some people, when they, when they use that personality, they, they use animals, if that helps you. There, there's, a, there's a lion who is, who is uh, fast-paced and task-oriented. There's a, an otter who is people-focused and, and fast-paced. Then there's, then there's on the bottom of the grid, there's a, a golden retriever. He's slower paced and people focused. And then on the other side, there's the, the beaver who is task focused and slower paced. And so uh, it goes around in this, and, and so we just talk about, we talk about, how, you know, which, which personality style are you and, and, and how does that relate to one another? And oftentimes you'll find as you work through that personality profile, you realize that, that you and your mate are on in different Quadrants, different segments. And sometimes you're on exact opposite segments. That opposite has attracted you together. It's what's brought you together, and it's also what's going to drive you crazy later on. But it's okay to realize that and learn that. We, we talk about, we talk about uh, love languages, and some of you know those. Though there's, Gary Chapman has five love languages of, of giving gifts and physical touch and, and uh, words of affirmation and quality time and... One more. Acts of service. Very good. Acts of service. So you guys know what I'm talking about. And we talk about how, how th- there's, there's these love languages in that you, you oftentimes you speak one kind of language, you, you share love in one kind of language, and you receive love in a different kind of, of love language. And, and there's some of those that come naturally for you. And, and typically, as, you, as we walk through that, we'll realize that, that one person speaks shares love in one language, but the other person receives it in a whole different language. And so you're sharing love, you're telling them that they love you this way, but they're not hearing it because they're receiving it. They receive it best in, in a whole other kind. And so you, you miss each other. And so we, we talk through those kinds of things. We, we look at, at, uh, at, at several proverbs as we walk through that. We want, we want the word to lead us. And, and one of the proverbs that we look at says this, it says in Proverbs 27, 14, it says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. That, that for those of you that are morning people and you jump up in the morning and you say, good morning, it's so good to be awake this morning. And the late sleepers, they don't hear that as a blessing. They hear it as a curse. And there's these differences in the way that we're wired. There's these differences in our personality. There's these differences that are going to make it sometimes great as you connect to your mate and sometimes difficult. And so we walk through those things. We, we also spend some time just talking through normal, regular, common conflict areas in our marriage. And we have a whole list of them that we go through, sex and children and money and all, all of these different things that couples have issues with as they're married. And so we kind of talk through them, try to help 
navigate some of those things. And at the end of those sessions, at the end of every session that I work with with couples, and if you're in here today, you know this, at the end of every session, I say this. Personality profiles and love languages, they're going to they're gonna affect how you relate to one another. These conflict areas that we talk about, the sex and kids and money and, and monotony and jealousy and some of those things, they're all going to be issues in your marriage. And you're going to struggle through those things. But the greatest, I say this every time, the greatest conflict that you're going to have in your marriage is sin and selfishness. We can label it in lots of these other ways, but sin and selfishness, the fact that we want our own way, is what leads to the most conflict in marriages. And it's not just marriage. The fact that we want our own way leads to conflict in all of our relationships, including, even most notably, in our relationship with God. We're wired to want our own way. We're born with that innate desire for selfishness. No one teaches it to us. We, we, don't, we don't have to have a class in school to tell us to want our own way. It comes to us naturally. From the moment we take our very first breath, from the moment our heart begins to beat, we want our own way. It's the way we're wired. And no one teaches babies to want their own way. We come by it naturally. We're sinners, and we have a sinful nature that, that started at the very beginning. When Adam and Eve took the, the bite of that fruit in the Garden of Eden, when they, when they rebelled against God, from that moment on, sin has carried on through every single generation of man. Through you and through me. And we have wanted our own way because of our sinful nature. And unless something or unless someone bumps us off our own sinful, selfish course, we will make everything in life all about us. And yet that's not, it's not the theme of Scripture. That's not what his word tells us. It's not about us. But instead, it's about him. You won't, find, you won't find any personality tests in the Bible. You won't find any chapter and verse that tell us all about the love language tests that we need to take so that we can better communicate with our spouse. Those are all true things. There is truth in all of that. And yet what the Bible calls us to is for all of us to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. He doesn't give us personality profiles. They give us fruit of the Spirit that we're to put on. That we're to fight through the sin of our own wiredness and to become more and more like Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells it to us this way. He says, says the most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. All of you is to love God. And the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about you at all, but all about him. 
The reason we were created, the reason why we exist is not about us, but it's all about him. You saw it. You saw it on the screen in the call to worship this morning. Psalm 115 says, not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Your name, your renown, those are the things that are the desires of our hearts. It's not about my name. It's not about your name. It's not even about the name of the Richland Church. Ultimately, it's all about him, his name, Jesus And so, I want to remind us of a story that comes in the book of Acts that helps us to remember what is it, what is it that ultimately, what is the ultimate? What is is the thing that matters more than anything else? And we saw it early on in the book of Acts. In in chapters 3 and 4, there's a story about Peter and John and the disciples. They're still in Jerusalem. It's It's only 50 days or so since Jesus was crucified still pretty brand new. And Peter and John, they, 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 they're coming into the temple. If you, if you open your Bibles, you'll see it there in, in chapter 3, if you remember the story. Peter and John are, are, are coming into the temple. It's time for them to sacrifice. And there's a, there's a man, a, a lame man there right at the gates, right as they walk into the temple. And Luke tells us, as, as you look through this book of Acts, that, that this lame man is there by the beautiful gates. He's asking for alms, and he's been lame since birth. Luke reminds us in the midst of this about our predicament, that we're wired, that we have this sinful nature inside of us, that there's nothing that we can do, that we're totally dependent, that we're unable to help ourselves, that, that we're like a lame beggar leaning up against the temple gate. But Peter and John, they come in and and the man is begging for alms there at the beginning of chapter 3. And, and Peter looks right at him and, and, and fixes his attention on him and says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it says in verse 7, he took him up by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Immediately. He begins to run and dance and leap and sing and praise God. And all of the people see it and they, and they know who this man is and they, and they want to know what, what has happened. How did, this, how did this happen? We just, as we entered into this temple court, we just saw you just outside begging for alms. What has happened? And so they ask, they ask Peter and John, what, what has happened here? And I want to read it with you in, in chapter 3. I'm not going to read all of it, but, but I want you just to see a, a few verses here, starting in verse 11 of chapter 3. While he, the, the lame man, while, who is now not lame any longer, he's dancing around. While he clung to Peter and John, all of the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. 
but you denied the holy righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we were witnesses. And then he says in verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this, the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. These people gather around, they say, how, how is this possible? What's going on? How is, this, how is this man who was once lame now dancing around in the temple courts? And they come to Peter and they say, just share with us, please. Tell, tell us, tell us what's happening. And in that moment, Peter could have, he could have given the details of his experience. You know, early on, Jesus called me. I was fishing beside the shore and Jesus called me to come and be one of his followers. And, and I was there. I got to see all of these things. And, and, and Peter could have told his story. Or, he, or Peter even could have said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to share. I'm just going to let the, I'm going to let this man who was lame, I'm going to let him tell his story. I'm going to let him share about his feelings and his experience. But Peter doesn't do that. <laughs> Peter doesn't do that. It's not about Peter. It's not about the lame man. It's all about God. And even more than that, it's all about Jesus. You saw it in, in verse 13. He says, he says the, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, that God, the one who from the very beginning, the one, the one who, who called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the one who was in the burning bush, the one who we have followed all through our history, that God. That God glorified his servant, Jesus. The Messiah, the one that came. His son who came for us. The holy and righteous one, he says. But you denied him. You denied the holy and righteous one. Instead, you asked for a murderer. And he says, you killed the author of life. That's quite a statement. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And then he says it this way. He says in verse 16, and now his name, faith in his name, Jesus, the holy righteous one, the author of life, the glorified servant, Jesus, it's faith in his name that has made him strong, whom you see and know. That faith is through Jesus. And it's given this man perfect health and presence. Faith in the name of Jesus. That's what's made him strong. There's such a commotion that's happening in the temple courts as they share this that, that the next the next day, or, or sorry, the, the leaders come to Peter and John, they come to this commotion that's happening and they want to know what's happening and there's such a commotion that what they do is they end up arresting Peter and John that day. They keep them overnight in jail. And as you continue to read the story out of, out of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, you see that 
they now have to give a reason. They have to, they have to share with the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have called them and arrested them, they have to share with the leaders now what has caused this commotion. And so the next day, it says in chapter 4, if you're, if you're flipping through there, in chapter 4 they, they ask um, in verse, let's start with verse 5 maybe. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, all who were there, the high priestly family. When they'd set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So even the, even the Sadducees, even the Pharisees, even the leaders of the temple, they're asking, by what, by what name, what power did you have to do this? Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit says to them, rulers and people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to the crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you reject that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And in verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter knows it's not about him. It's not about the name of Peter. It's not about the name of John. It's not about the name of the man who's been healed. I think Peter would say, I exist, we exist to magnify Jesus Christ. We exist to point to Jesus Christ. There is no other name by which we must be saved. There's no other name by which we must be saved. We exist to magnify Jesus Christ. If you go on, that's chapter 4, verse 12. Look, look at the next verse, chapter, chapter 4, verses 13. He says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They didn't talk about Peter and John's dynamic personalities. They said, I see Peter. I see John. These are common, ordinary, uneducated men. But when we see them, when we're around them, when we hear from them, when we hear the teachings that they have, we see that they have been with Jesus. We see that they've been with Jesus. We exist, Richland exists to magnify Jesus Christ. We want to lift up the name of Jesus. We want people, we want us in this room. We want to become more and more like Jesus. We want people to see us common, ordinary folk and say, we can tell that they've been with Jesus. And so we look to him. 
We point to him. We magnify him. Why? Because there's no other name by which we must be saved except in the name of Jesus. We exist to magnify Jesus Christ because there is nothing else that matters when we need to be rescued from the depth of our sin. There's nothing else that matters. And it won't matter. Your name, my name, our name will not matter. It's just the name of Jesus. There's no power in the name of Richland. There's no power in Jason Dignan. There's only power in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we look to him. There's nowhere else for us to go except to Jesus. The worship team's gonna come and lead us in just a moment. But there's one last verse I want you to look at. Because I, 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 as I think about what is, we, we, we talk about, it's all about Jesus. He's the only way that we have any hope. He's the only rescue that we have. His, his name is the ultimate name. We exist to magnify Jesus because there's nowhere else for us to go. It's only by his name that we will be saved. But how do we know that it's only his name? And I shared this with you a couple of summers ago as we walked through the series. But at the very end, almost at the, almost at the very end, towards the very end of the book of Revelation, the, the vision that John has of, of what it's going to be like at the very end. In Revelation chapter 22, it's, it'll be on the screen as well. In Revelation 22, we get this vision from John. It says, Then, at the very end, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Then it says this in verse 4. His servants who are all there, us, we, we will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. In the very, very end when we're all gathered around the throne, when you and I are there, our name tags, they don't say our name. They don't say Richland. They say Jesus. His name is on our foreheads. Why do we exist as a church? What do Peter and John remind us of? There's no other name by which we're saved. It's Jesus. His name's on our forehead. That's the name we want to declare. That's, that's who we magnify. It's Jesus Christ. Worship team's gonna lead us in worship. Please stand with me as we sing together this morning. Son of God, none 
Our benediction this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.